Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Almighty Podcast. This is Mike Adkins from NerdsOnEarth.com, and as always, I am joined by... Adam Sims from the Back Patio Network. And we have come together yet again to talk about two episodes of the uh, My Hero Academia anime. We are covering episodes 55 and 56 this week. Yeah, we had a lot of fun with these episodes. I mean, we are continuing on in the examination for hero licenses. Uh, and, you know, we've got our UA pals here trying to get ahead of the rest of the schools, it seems like. Yes, and I was actually surprised. I was telling Adam this uh, just before we started recording that the vast majority of episode 55 is off book. It's not, it's not contained anywhere in the manga. Yeah, which is pretty shocking to me. I don't know if... Maybe they just had the opportunity to expand on some of the ideas here, so they took the liberty to do that, or if they felt like they needed to add in more information so people weren't just sitting there going, like, hey, what, what happened? How did, you know, how did Todoroki get his examination license? Because I think you had mentioned in the manga, he is just shown in the, I think they call it the anteroom, and he's already gotten it, like he's passed, and he's ready to go on to the next, the next scenario. Whereas in the TV show, they give a full explanation. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad they did it for both Todoroki and the group um, that, that Momo was kind of leading because Momo's group isn't featured at all uh, in the middle of the test in the manga. Uh, and Todoroki's is just like a single panel where you, all of a sudden it flashes over to him in the arena and everybody's already like stuck in ice and he's just walking away casually, um, you know, like those cool guys do in action movies where they just turn their back on a, an, on an explosion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's kind of how it was. It wasn't a full page or anything. Um, I would be so I was bummed. like, man, I would be kind of bummed if I missed out on seeing Momo and all them go through their uh, trials here. Cause it was pretty fun. Yeah, it was great. And this is, you know, I guess, if if the definition of filler is it's content that is extant in the anime that doesn't exist inside of the manga, then then it's filler. However, if we're gonna have filler, I I like that this is filler that we actually want. Like you and I would have been totally bummed out, and and viewers I think would generally have been like, well, dang, I want to know how everybody how everybody passed, and we do get that. We get to see how everybody in class one A. Um, passes this this first leg of the exam, but we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit now. I'm spoiling the end of the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully they've already watched it. Uh, yeah, but, that's true. That's true. You know, I, I just got to comment on this. I, I've watched a lot of anime over the years, and a lot of the times the filler just absolutely sucks because it's like it doesn't contribute to the main storyline. It's just random. Like we couldn't get production to push out the the latest manga into a TV show, so here's some randomness to fill in the gap. But it seems like consistently with this TV show, the filler just continues to like compound on the existing canon. And I love that. It's not like it's just useless and a waste of time, you know? Yeah, it's been it's been good stuff. Wasn't the the only other thing that we that was they I think they even called it a filler episode, just owned it was the uh, ones where we got to see some of them on their little um Internships, right? Yeah, and I think it was, was that mainly, the one episode. The one episode that, that was, was the filler? really filler was uh, the one with Sue and Silky. And even then, I didn't feel yeah. like that felt like filler. It just seemed like it was following one of the main storyline characters. Yeah, and it was great. It didn't. It. it I mean, it was quality content. I, yeah. I could be content with something that isn't straight from the pages of Shonen Jump, um, it, so long as it is. It is good. And so far, uh, we've we've been handed that. Um, every time so far with the, with the anime. So there's much to be pleased with. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. 
Well, man, let's go ahead and just uh, jump right into episode 55 because it picks right up where 54 left off with Todoroki fighting off these uh, these colored ninjas here. We've got like a purple ninja and a red and yellow and, and pink one, I think. I mean, they're pretty much the Power Rangers. Yeah, and there's it's Todoroki versus 10 of these guys. Yeah, um, it, it is very uneven battle. Yeah, but I mean, I never worried for Todoroki. Is that weird? I mean, he has been so incredibly capable. And you remember the last time I was having flashbacks of the incident at the USJ where he just like totally manhandled a bunch of those uh, the like cannon fodder villains and was like so confident and cocky and capable that he was just like trash talking them. You remember oh, that? Yeah. yeah, he was like, uh, can one of you guys give me a challenge? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do think that he's the challenge is greater here in this scene than it was, or than it was shown in that one. But yeah, I was just like, dude, Todoroki, he's going to be fine. Like I had no doubts that he was going to pass, uh, you know, overcome this little group. Um, I was just really curious to see how he did it. So let's talk about how he did that. Yeah, it's pretty cool because uh, he's he's realizing that they created these different zones for people's quirks, specifically for quirks that work better in certain areas. And so he's obviously in the industrial zone, and he is able to kind of like dip, duck, and dodge his way out of all of the random nuts and bolts and nails that they're throwing at him. And he finds like a it's almost like a giant gas asylum or something like that. I was under the impression it would hold oil. But he explodes it, and when he does, it actually like explodes some sort of gaseous form, it seemed like, like some sort of pink gas. Yeah, I, cu- I couldn't figure out what it was supposed to be. Yeah, I'm not sure. I thought it was going to be like a, um, what's the, I, I want to use the word xylem, but that's not right. Uh, silo, like I'm thinking of like a corn silo, but it's full of gasoline. Mm-hmm. But uh, this wasn't, it was full of some sort of weird pink gas. And whenever he explodes that silo, uh, it basically just distracts all of these ninjas, and he's able to ice them up and then ping each of their their targets. Yep, and he makes it look super easy. I mean, it was very quick. He he pulled a little bit of trickery, like he set something on fire to kind of lure them to a place where he wasn't in the middle of this uh, mist, and he takes a place of um, high ground and then just freezes everybody and just casually is able to stroll around and, and tap targets and... Uh, get called into the ante room. So he, he must have watched uh, Star Wars. He had the high ground. Yeah, and he's <laughs> the first. He's the first UA student that we see pass. Yeah, correct. Absolutely. Okay. Which doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, and while we do get a quick scene in between him being in the ante room, uh, I just want to jump right into that. When he's in there, he actually sees the other school's number one hero, the guy that, or not hero, but the number one student, the uh, the student that had the wind powers. Yeah. And there's like this weird animosity between the two of them for a brief second because he's doing his weird stuff, you know, fanboying over another student. And when he sees Todoroki, he looks at him and gives him this look that just seemed really weird. Like, I wonder what that's about. Yeah, I just have that he throws some serious shade at Todoroki here. Yeah, and I wonder if they've had uh, past run-ins with each other. Or maybe, <laughs> I wonder if it's one of those weird things where like their fathers have some kind of like animosity, so they have animosity, you know? Because I could see Endeavor having a bunch of people that aren't super big fans of him. I don't get the, I don't get the feeling that Todoroki has any familiarity with this guy, but that guy, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember his name, and I can't for the life of me remember what that guy's name is, the, the dude with the wind. Um what was his name? That's what I'm looking it up right now. Is it? Uh... Oh, it's in. A, it's a Yao Rashi. That's Yao Rashi. That's right. Yep. So Yao Rashi, I, I think he 
knows who Todoroki is somehow, but Todoroki well, seems completely clueless. He's just like, what is this guy's deal? So I, I don't know that if it's if there is familiarity at some level, I think it's one-sided, um, and Todoroki is the one that's in the dark. I, I don't think he knows what's going on or what the issue is. That's totally fair. I mean, Yaroshi is the one that skipped out UA, even though he was offered a position there. Or not a position, but a, a you know, a, a, I guess membership there. Uh, so he must know a little yeah, bit about yeah, Todoroki. But regardless of that, uh, we were going to move on to this scene. It's kind of weird because they've split it up in between uh, Todoroki fighting off the ninjas and being in the anteroom. In between that, we actually see this building that has this group of women in it that are all from the same school. I didn't catch the school name, though. Um, and they are preparing basically to get a couple of students from UA into a bad situation. And those students are uh, Shoji, Su, Momo, and Jiro. And it's, it's interesting because it's just this girl named Miss Sai who is sitting there sipping on some tea. And they're all dressed really nicely, like really fancy-like. And I just I kind of get a kick out of the way that they look. It was very striking, um, the aesthetics of this particular scene. These are... Um, students at the Seiai Academy, and I'm probably mispronouncing that. It's S-E-I-A-I Academy. And Miss Sai seems to be very much in charge. And she's like talking as she's sipping on her tea. And she begins to think and it looks, and I couldn't tell if this was, this is again, like it's difficult sometimes in anime to tell what is being visualized just for us, like as an audience, just for our sake or if this is like actually something that's going on because it's like her thoughts like project beyond her, if that makes sense. Like they, it almost is like her thinking process is floating around in the room, you know, like when Midoriya is muttering and it says like mutter, mutter, mutter in Japanese or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, I kind of got the impression that this was all internal monologue. Okay. Well, she's, she's like, our prey has been decided. So just go ahead and gather everybody up. Um, presumably the rest of that particular Academy and she says something like the formula for our success has already been decided. Like she's worked out exactly how uh, they're going to be able uh, to overcome this particular group of UA students, which is an interesting thing to say. Yeah, it is kind of weird. It seems like she almost had some insight into what was going on. Uh, but we switch over to see the four students and they are actually headed into this building. And it seems like Jiro is trying to get the lay of the land. So she like plugs into the building with her ear jacks and she's starting to get an idea of like, okay, there are four people headed this way. They must be trying to attack us. And there's some quick talk between the students where they're like, that's weird that only four of them are headed this way. Like where are the rest of them? You know, maybe they got split off or, or something strange. And that's when we see Miss Sai go, okay, initiate phase one. And they blow Jiro's ears out with this radio system that they crank up. So her, she's like bleeding from her ears at this point, uh, and she looks pretty messed up. And then they're like, okay, initiate phase two. And they start breaking all the windows so that way Shoji can't see outside to see how many people are actually coming after them. Uh, so things like, I mean, from the get-go, they get pretty bad pretty quick. Yeah, and a couple things, just interesting things to note in the midst of particularly phase one and phase two the brand of stereo that they use to harm Jiro's ears is, is Hage, H-A-G-E. Yeah. And I had almost put this as trivia at some point. I, I don't think I did. I, well, actually, I might have. It might have been one of the first ones where President Mike, like his initial design with that, he was like overweight and balding. And his headphones that he always has on 
has the word Hage on tap uh, on top of it, and it's like a brand, but it also means bald, I think, in Japanese. Oh, really? And so it was like initially it was like a nod that you know this overweight balding guy just has the word bald or balding um, <laughs> written on top of his head, and we get to see that. Now I had a really hard time finding like images from the manga or the anime where present Mike's uh, headphones do say Hage. I mean, I don't, I I couldn't find any, or I I think that's the part of it that I left off of the trivia wasn't that the, his headphones said that, but that, that was his initial design, but it was cool to see that brand pop up, uh, on the stereo that they used to hurt Jiro. And the second thing is this, I am always, and this is just a, it's such a weird thing, but I always am disturbed by the sight of blood coming out of ears. Like really? it is always just this thing that I'm just like, man, that is, that is rough and gross. And so seeing Jiro like bleeding out of her ears, I mean, it, it was unsettling. And it's not even like traumatic damage. You know, we certainly have seen people uh, take much more severe injuries, but just the blood leaking from your ear holes just unsettles me every time I see it. I don't know. I mean, it's it's pretty unsettling to me, too. Like, we've seen Midoriya and whatnot get his arm messed up. But whenever you see someone bleeding from your, their ears, your first thought is like, that's internal hemorrhaging. Like, you're going to die. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, it looked pretty pretty gnarly to me. I, I've never had any ear issues where I've just started, like, you know, bleeding from them. But if I did, I think I'd be freaking out. Yeah, me too. If I, yeah, I will be a basket case if it ever gets to the point where blood is leaking out of my ears. <laughs> so they also, during phase one and two, take out Jiro's, uh, like, amplifier and her left... Uh, wrist thingy. I don't know what she called it, but it's what she uses to amplify and, and like disrupt the ground like she did earlier. And I think it was two episodes ago that she did that. Yes, I think that's right. So they take her out her fighting abilities like within a couple seconds. It was pretty, pretty impressive, really. Yeah. And so now you've got Shoji's, um, you know, his, he's got, he's, his powers are limited to the same as everybody else's essentially. Um, Cause they've like, they didn't break all of the glass, but they, they like they shattered, shattered it. it. Yeah. It looked so like it was it, bulletproof glass. So whenever it broke, it just it stayed intact, but you can't see through it anymore. And they've taken away the, pretty much all of their recon ability. Um, and that now they're going to start targeting Sue and Momo in phase three. I thought the way that they took out Sue was pretty, pretty neat. I didn't see that coming because basically they just turn on the AC and they crank it up in the room and then they like seal the door shut uh, with uh, oh, uh, like a welding tool, like a welding torch. And because she's cold blooded, which I never even thought of the fact that she's a frog or she has all those frog like abilities. I never expected her to also be cold blooded, but uh, because she is, she gets free, you know, she gets cold and she goes into hibernation. Yeah. This, it felt added on here. Like really? just for the, yeah. I mean, like, cause if she were cold blooded, wouldn't that have, would we have like picked up on some element of that earlier on? I mean, I would like, have thought so too. I, and you know, now that you say that, I'm thinking back to like when they were at USJ and uh, she was swimming and they're in that water, I would have expected her to get pretty cold then too. Cause water is normally pretty cold in comparison to the air temperature around you. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I mean, when the, when it was happening, I was like, what is going on? And then they were like, oh, yeah, frogs hibernate. And I'm like, okay, so she's cold-blooded now? Or, <laughs> like, it just felt kind of tacked on. It was you, fine. Like, I wasn't upset about it. Do you think she hibernates during the winter? I think that if she did, we would know about it. Like, if that was, like, in canon, a thing that she did. 
like that that would have come up during the, her explanation of all of her other powers that she gave at the USJ. Like, be, you know, how do you mention throwing up your stomach, but not the fact that you're cold-blooded and that cold could incapacitate you really easily? Yeah. Well, uh-huh. you know, we've actually had quite a bit of discussion in our uh, Discord recently about My Hero in general. And one of the consistent things I seem to see is that there were a lot of ideas that have been kind of abandoned throughout the first and like the first season through the third season. So maybe it's possible that this is just totally tacked on. Yeah, it felt that way. I mean, I didn't hate it. It was I was like, oh, OK, well, that's an interesting thing. Um, I definitely wouldn't want her on a snowball fighting team anymore. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it just, it was, it felt tacked on. That's, that's all. I mean, I don't, I don't think I have strong feelings one way or the other about it besides just that it felt like they were just like, how are we going to take care of Sue? Oh, I know. Um, and, and then that she just suddenly was cold blooded, I guess. But yeah, cause even, me, uh, uh, the nurse has mentioned before that Sue doesn't really have any weaknesses and that she's a pretty big all around team player. Like I think it was last season. So I'm surprised that she wouldn't have brought that up. Hmm. That's a good point. Anyway, they, uh, their plan for Momo is that they think that she's going to react to being sealed in with the air conditioning turned up to 11, uh, or down to 11, I guess. Uh, and that she's going to have to use her quirk to like create heaters or block the fence. And that just her using up her quirk will basically take her out of the equation. Um, which started me to think like, okay, say they do that. Okay. Say Momo does exactly what Sai had predicted him to do. It felt kind of like Sai was just short selling what it is that those students, even just the three of them that are still standing, Jiro, Shoji, and Momo, what they could do apart from their quirks, you know? Like, yeah. just well, because you take away the, the one, you know, supernatural thing that they could do doesn't mean that they're, you know, suddenly totally incapacitated. I mean, they are at a disadvantage, but I kind of would have, a part of me really wanted to see them overcome this situation at that disadvantage, but that's not quite what, what takes place. No, and I mean, I have to agree with you here. I was kind of confused on why taking out the glass completely incapacitated Shoji. Like, that dude has insane strength. You can't tell me that he's incapacitated because he can't see out the windows. Right. So anyway, that we find out that this uh, this Psy lady, her quirk is called just simply IQ. Um, and that this is this explains the tea drinking earlier, too, because I was like, man, so weird that they've set up for like high tea in the middle of this thing. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but it, it's specifically related to her quirk, which is super weird. Um, but she's after she drinks tea and when she closes her eyes, then her IQ multiplies. And she already has like a base IQ, a IQ of 150, which I believe is genius level. Um, and that different kinds of tea have different effects. So I was just like, man, that is a weird quirk. And that is so random. (laughs) It is. Like, can you imagine if she had grown up in a family that didn't drink tea? She never would have found her quirk. Yeah. And and like on top of that, you have the added piece where it's just like, not only do you have to drink tea, but you have to close your eyes as well. And so I was like, man, you got to figure, this thing had to take an, a minute to figure out. I and I think still so. think that it's just a bonkers quirk, but hey. And think about how many types of teas there are. I mean, you'd have to go through several types of teas before you figure out which one's best for you, you know? Right, right. I agree. But this one's kind of a weird stretch for me. It was, it was strange. But anyway, they're, they're basically just sitting there waiting on um, either the cold to do its thing 
um, or for the class 1A students to make their move. And Momo decides that um, she starts thinking again, like, what would Todoroki do? What would Ida do? What would Midoriya do? Which I kind of felt like was maybe a tiny step back from where she was after the training with uh, Todoroki and Aizawa. Like, yeah. I felt like at the end of that, she was past moments like this, maybe. Um, but anyway, she has this brief moment where she's wondering what they would do. Um, and then she decides that she's going to focus on the present situation. So she, uh, she like opens up her blouse right in, right in front of Shoji. Like she has no shame. She does this all the time. Just, it's just like, she, she she's probably more comfortable with her body than any living human being is. <laughs> Cause she <laughs> well, has I mean, no problems at this just point. Showing she's everybody pretty what she's much got. flashed like everybody in UA. So I don't think she's really going to care what they think. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's she's never shown like, a, you know, even even a hesitance. You know, it's always just like, right here they are. You know, and so it's just it's funny every time. And yeah. of course, Jiro dives in front of it to try to cover um, <laughs> cover Momo up again, like she always does. But she Momo creates headphones for everybody, um, and then a giant speaker that Jiro jacks in um, to with her her right ear jack. And she uses high frequency sound to like knock everybody out, except for Sai. Sai's managed to keep her feet, I guess. Yeah, and I thought this was really neat because I don't know if they said it in uh, the manga or in the dubbed version or the sub version. Uh, but in the dub version, Sai actually makes a, a mention like, "Oh, are they using sonic attacks?" And I thought that was really cool because in D and D and in Pathfinder, sonic attacks are a huge thing, and there is almost nothing that is immune to sonic attacks. Like whenever you play a TTRPG, the sonic attacks are a go-to because there are hardly anything that can ignore the damage from those. So I yeah. thought that was kind of a cool little like you know reference there. I believe our real-world military uses sonic uh, weaponry oh, occasionally as well. Yeah, in fact, DARPA has been testing a uh, satellite that can focus in on one individual and create high-frequency waves that will just make you feel uncomfortable. Like, they, they, don't, they can't really you know, cause you to stop or anything like that, but you'll stand there and just be uncomfortable while the person standing right next to you doesn't feel any different at all. It's, it's really crazy stuff. Hmm. I, so long as they don't find the, uh, the brown note. You remember the brown note from, like, South Park? No, what's that? It's like it's a it's a note that makes you crap your pants. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, that would be awesome. Can you imagine how many things we would stop? Like some dude's <laughs> trying to rob a bank and you just point that, you know, uh, like sonic equipment at him and he just like craps himself and he can't yeah. continue robbing the bank. I don't know. I think that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, it would be it would be terrible. Like to weaponize the brown note it would be frightening. Let's not let's not go there, world. Right. Well, it ends up, you know, they, they are able to basically knock out everybody but Sai, like Adkins mentioned, and they bust through this room, and they think they've got everyone taken care of, but Sai is able to grab Momo into the room and shut the doors. And Momo, at this point, is pretty much incapacitated. I mean, she's used up a lot of her powers in this exam, so she is having a hard time fighting back. But she does end up getting Sai, like, handcuffed and trying to keep her away, and the moment that she's about to get pinned down, uh, all of the other students step in and, and just basically take Sai out. And she's kind of shocked by this. She's like, you know, why wouldn't you just think of yourselves? Why wouldn't you, you know, go ahead and leave? Like, abandon this one and, or abandon this person and try and get past it through this exam. And they're like, well, that's not how UA thinks. We're all friends. We take care of each other. I mean, it's, it's kind of a heartwarming scene. Yeah, she says, we don't leave our friends behind and we don't give up. And uh, I like that a lot. That was a that was well said, Momo. And she's 
definitely the the leader of that little crew. I mean, she was the one who did the thinking. She was the one that did the ordering. Um, so she's she's you know one of the lieutenants on uh, class one A. I would say definitely. I would totally agree. Well, we transition into a scene with uh, Pakigo, Kaminari, and Kirishima. And uh, even Kirishima is kind of asking Kaminari, like, why did you come with us, you know? And he's like, I don't know. I just wanted to join you guys. Uh, and they run out onto this bridge, and Kirishima immediately runs into another student from Saketsu High, I believe, who yes. just turns him into a meatball. Like, just crunches him up and Chef Boyardee, man. It's gross is what it, it is. It absolutely is disgusting. Like, I don't know that I could use that quirk. If that was my quirk, I don't know that I could do that to other people. It would just feel too gross. Yeah, I have in my notes that Kirishima gets turned into Dupe, and Dupe is like this X-Man who just looks kind of like Slimer a little bit from oh, yeah. the Ghostbusters. Yeah, he was an awesome character. He uh, he was the janitor for uh, the Jean Grey school there for a little while in the comics. Yeah, the Wolverine and the X-Men run. In fact, yeah. I wrote a post for Nerds on Earth about there's an episode, or there's, I think it's the 17th issue of that run where it's like... It's all from his perspective. Wolf- yeah, Wolverine is trying to explain to somebody why why Dupe is on staff, and it's hilarious. If oh, it's you don't awesome. know what I'm talking about, you've got to look up that single issue out of that run, and it, it is it is life-giving. It is so funny. Oh, yeah, it's great. I, and, you know, I may be one of the only folks out there that thinks this, but Wolverine and the X-Men was legitimately one of my favorite X-Men runs of all time. Hmm. Well, we got this, this guy. His name is uh, Seji Shishikura. Uh, and his quirk is to turn people into meatballs. Um, it's, it has to do with like his skin. I think we get the little splash page for it um, at the beginning of episode of the next episode, but I'll, we'll go ahead and interject it here. He can change flesh by massaging it. And uh, I just have in parentheses, it's, it's still not that kind of anime because like, <laughs> you know, a lot of people can change flesh by massaging it. But anyway, um, for, for someone else's flesh, he can just turn them into these like weird meatballs, but he can do a lot more with his own, like is able to shape it, manipulate it and even control it almost like it has sentience, but it's, it's not sentience. It's like he controls it uh, almost like he is to the skin. Like Magneto would be to metal. It's not that the metal that Magneto is moving around is sentient, um, but it, it uh, responds to his manipulating of it. If that makes sense. It was very Majin Buu esque. Yeah, yeah, that's, you know, I'm surprised that I never had that thought myself. But yeah, like Majin Buu could take off like large chunks of himself and it would slither around and swallow up folks instead of turn them into meatballs. Yeah, yeah, that's what it reminded me of. Uh, But we get another transition here. They do a lot of this in the show where they give you like this quick glimpse and then they spend 15 minutes elsewhere and then they come back to it. Uh, Sometimes it can be frustrating, but... Uh, we see Midoriya, Ochako, and Saro are all together, and they're trying to come up with some sort of a game plan to score some points. Because at this point, they're getting surrounded by folks, and they have been completely separated. Uh, and then we transition back over to this guy from Saketsu, and it's funny because he's giving Bakugo and Kaminari this speech on how he wears a hat just because, like he wears a school's hat. I don't know. It was really strange. Uh, and he's talking about how, like, you know, UA and Saketsu High are equals, but he feels like Class 1A at UA right now are, like, deplorables. Like, he feels like they have no respect, and that especially Bakugo. He says yeah. something to him about how he doesn't represent a true hero at all. Uh, and Bakugo is just like, well, you're crying, uh, so get out of my way. I'm going to kill you. 
you know, and Kaminari's freaking out because he's like, do you think maybe you could just not provoke somebody for once? Yeah, because Kaminari is focused on all of the meatballs at this guy's feet. So this dude is just standing in the middle of this bridge and there's like a, a dozen or more of these things that used to be human beings, <laughs> like lying yeah. scattered around his feet. So it's oh, a little, uh, and they've got like, a little unsettling. They've got like hair and teeth coming out of everywhere. I mean, it's gross. Like it's really, Definitely. really nasty. I can't even imagine how they feel like because they've been all bundled up and they're still sentient. You can see like it switches over to Kirishima and his eyes are like rolling around and stuff like it's nasty. Yeah, and he tells them and I think, again, this might be at the beginning of the next episode, but he tells them that they can still very much feel pain because he's like trying to warn Kaminari, I think, at the moment that if you just use your uh, electricity, it's going to hit all of these people, including uh, Kirishima. Right. And so Bakugo, of course, does Bakugo and he rushes towards him and is going to try and murder him. And then we transition back to Midoriya, who is kind of gathering these people together. He's running away from Saro and Achako in attempt to try and get, I think, six people uh, distracted. That way, Achako and Saro can come in and try to capacitate them, basically, and, and tag them so that way they can all three get ahead of the game. Right, uh, And we get this awesome scene here with uh, Aizawa and Miss Joke. And it's funny because Miss Joke tries to like hand him a piece of gum. She's like, hey, do you want a piece of gum? And he goes, that's a finger trap, isn't it? <laughs> it <laughs> yeah, he, he thinks that he, she is always trying to pull one over on him. And he he refuses to be the one who has that that wool, you know, that 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 joke or prank pulled on him. So he just de- declines everything from her. And it just turned out to be regular gum. <laughs> yeah, like he will not give her any leeway at all. It's so funny. I, I really like their friendship. It cracks me up. Uh, but it's pretty good. He's kind of frustrated because he's complaining that they have no idea who's passing in real time. So I, I guess all they're hearing, like they're trying to watch what's happening from the stadium and they're hearing the announcer say, okay, you know, 52 people have passed, 72 people have passed, but they are not announcing who. And unless he's seeing it happen, he's got no idea. Uh, so he's talking about how he's frustrated. And Miss Joke is like, what, are you actually worried about this? And he goes into this awesome kind of, you know, speech where he's like, no, I'm not worried at all. Like we have two students in my class and it doesn't seem to matter what's going on. If there's a big event, one of them is at the center of it and they constantly lift everybody up. And those two folks, even if they're not around or in the current situation, I know all of the other students are going to do better because of them. And he goes, you know, I'm, I'm honored to call these my students. And he ends the episode by saying, this is my class one a, I just, I don't know. I thought it was like tear jerking. I'm like, man, Aizawa does care about these kids. It's, it's really cool. And we're constantly reminded of that in these small ways, you know? Yeah. I like in particular in the, in the midst of that, he just says the, the two of them, he's, he, and he doesn't ever name Bakugo or Midoriya, but while he's talking about these two students or these two people, it's flashing between scenes of the two of them. And I think when he says you know, that, that final line, that it's this cool like splash of the two of them, they aren't on the on the scene together at the moment that he says this, but it's just kind of like a splash image of the two of them. Um, and he says, I'm not worried. I can't wait to see what they'll do. Uh, and I love that line. I was like, yes, um, because he's he's not just talking about Bakugo Midoriya at this point. He's talking about all of Class 1A because Bakugo Midoriya, he says that their passion has spread to the rest of the class and has made all of them better. And so, you know, Aizawa gets to sit back and see the fruit 
of that that um, that uh, contagious zeal that the two of those two students have, and it and that zeal manifests itself very differently in Bakugo than it does in Midoriya. But um, Aizawa is quick to note that they are having a very similar effect, each of them, um, on the whole class, which is a cool cool statement. Very good into episode fifty five. Oh yeah, like I see Midoriya as somebody that. Well, I'm trying to think of this analogy. So Midoriya is like a cup of coffee every day. You know what I mean? Like he's got that caffeine hit, but he, he kind of sticks with you. Bakugo is like slamming 15 Red Bulls and getting in a NASCAR. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just the way that they inspire folks are so different, and, but they, yeah. they both inspire and it's so cool. Well, that brings us to episode 56, which is entitled rush with all caps and exclamation points. Um, I think 62 people at this point have passed and that number continues to grow. Um, and only a hundred are making this cut. So things are getting, um, they're getting down to the wire here. And we pick back up with, uh, the Shishikura, uh, encounter with Bakugo and, uh, Kaminari as Kirishima has been meatballed. That's going to be a verb now. Um, meatballed. I like it. And he continues. So Shishikura continues to talk and he's, he's doing the villain thing where he's purple prosing it, um, instead of, you know, doing what he could do. Um, so he's like, this is a test of power. And he's like, there's a weirdly low pass rate for this particular test, especially considering that all might is retired because we're not trying to just make a whole bunch of extra heroes. We're, we're trying, they're trying with these tests now to weed out the riffraff. Um, and so he's like, well, I'm here to support that. He's not even, he's not even doing anything to help himself pass. Um, at least not at this point. So he's just like, I wish to support cutting out the riffraff. So I, he's just, I guess, going around and just meatballing people that he doesn't think deserve to move on to whatever the next evolution of this test is going to be like. Yeah, I don't know. His uh, his reasoning seems kind of unfounded to me. But it, regardless, Bakugo, of course, runs right into this. And he's pulling off special moves. Like, I think he's using his AP shot, and he's trying to blast this guy into space. But uh, he actually is able to manifest his skin into this, like, gross barrier. And it doesn't even touch him. You know, it kind of explodes, but he doesn't get hit. He doesn't seem phased by it. Yeah, I think, so Bakugo is using the AP shot, because this, Kaminari starts talking about some of this battle a little bit later on. Um, and he's using that AP shot because he can't, he, he's, he's already been told or he knows that those meatballs can still feel things, so he's trying to keep that damage down. Right. And so that, that little armor-piercing shot is a very focused beam, you know, that where he, like, makes an O with his with one hand over his palm. And so he's just trying to keep potential splash damage down to a minimum, which is really smart. I mean, Bakugo, we've, we've learned already, is uh, very smart uh, on the field of battle. Oh, yeah, he's definitely a tactician. And we also find out that he's kind of thinking ahead because he's sort of setting up a distraction for Kaminari because whenever he pulls off that AP shot... Kaminari also shoots some discs out of his like wrist gun, uh, but they miss. They hit. They like hit the wall and they stick into the wall. And even this, what's his name? One more time, Shishikura. Shishikura. So even Shishikura is like, yeah, you totally missed. Like you're not even hitting the mark. And he turns Bakugo into one of these meatballs because he's like, oh well, you you got distracted. You're not paying attention. And this goo comes up and he gets turned into a meatball. Well, Kaminari is like kind of giving them the spiel about how Bakugo is actually doing his 
damnedest to become a pro hero, and he is doing everything he can to become great, and that he shouldn't be insulting things that he has no clue about. And then he uses his own special move where those discs on the wall activate, and they like channel all this electricity around Shishikura. And it's so cool because Kaminari is able to do basically like an electric gun and just shoot at him with one single point of electricity. And we get this great flashback where he has gone to uh, oh, a power loader. Right. And they've worked with uh, Mei Hatsume to come up with this, this concept of this you know, product where he is able to pinpoint accurate shots with his electricity. It reminded me a lot of uh, the spirit gun from Yu Yu Hakusho, if you've ever seen that. I didn't watch a bunch of Yu Yu Hakusho, but I am familiar with that particular move. You know, yeah. he makes a finger gun, literally. Literally, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and you see Kaminari adopting that, that same kind of style here so that he can channel, um, you know, he can choose his target instead of it just being like a big AOE, um, which, is, which is pretty neat. And Yeah, um, it definitely gives him a lot more applicability in the field for sure. Yeah, and, and Bakugo, right before he gets turned into a meatball, doesn't he toss... This isn't just in the manga, is it? I remember it in the MMA that... Doesn't he toss, like, a little grenade to Kaminari? Yeah, yeah, he definitely does. Okay. I was I was like, dude, did I totally misremember that? Uh, <laughs> no, he I'm, does. I'm, I'm looking at the manga, too, so... Yeah, no, he definitely tosses, like, this little grenade at him, and then Kir, uh, Kir, Kaminari uses that. And this... I called him the meatball hero... He loses yeah. focus, and uh, Kirishima is able to resume his old form, and out of nowhere, just decks this guy in the stomach. Like that guy had to have been throwing up for hours afterwards. Yeah, it did look like a pretty, pretty excellent hit. And it reminded uh, me of uh, Tetsu Tetsu whenever he knocked out Mustard. Yeah, yeah, it, it did look similar too. Yeah, just the way it was animated with the move, uh, the movement, and all that. Um, I love those power punches. I think they're animated so well in the show. I liked too that. Uh, Kaminari, when he's when he's talking to uh, Shishikura, he says that guy. He's talking about Bakugo um, in his defense of Bakugo that you were talking about earlier in the manga. He says that guy may have the personality of a steamed turd, but he's actually doing his best to be a proper hero, and I, I really <laughs> like that. That's awesome. That's a really good way to describe Bakugo. Uh, I think in the uh, in the subtitled it was Bakugo might seem vulgar, but he's actually trying really hard to be a hero. But the manga does it better here. I think. Yeah, I do. I agree. They definitely did it better. So, uh, like you said, Kirishima and Bakugo are no longer meatballs, uh, and Kaminari is immediately just like freaking out because, like we said earlier, he's standing. The Shishikura guy was standing in the middle of two dozen of these things, so he's like behind us. The, the, the you weren't the only ones that he balled up, and there's this brief scene where uh, Bakugo just turns and is like licking his lips when he says, "I know." Like he is pumped he is excited Dude, i know it was such a like frieza moment like it reminded me of frieza for some reason the way he licked his lips like that i'm like yeah you were such a villainous hero <laughs> and so then we, the, we the announcer comes over the air and says okay 70 people have passed only 30 spots left you guys have got to hurry up and we switch over to achako and saro right yeah they are in the middle of uh, executing this plan that midoriya had come up with well, sort of. I don't think Midoriya actually came up with the how. I think he just left it up to Ochako and Sarah to do something um, while he played the decoy. And what they come up with is um, Sarah attaches a bunch of tape to several boulders that Ochako then uh, uses her power to make really light. And they throw them over the battlefield. And then she cancels the gravity uh, hold that she has on them. And they fall down and they just stick like 
I don't know, eight, 10 people um, in this tape. And so they just casually are able to walk around and uh, they don't even have to throw the balls. Cause this was something that Midoriya had said, I think in the previous episode where he was like, if, if we were just doing target practice, then they'd only ever really be able to tell whether or not we were good at throwing a ball and hitting a target. So th there's got to be something else that we can do. And so this is what manifests. Um, they just use it's, it's flypaper, but for human beings. Yeah, it was a really cool combo. I like that. I thought it was pretty neat. Yeah, it worked out super well. Um, yeah, it did. So all three of them have passed. Yeah, and there's this kind of a sad but kind of a cool moment where Bakugo is walking up to somebody, and you know, everybody else basically except for... Uh, you mean Midoriya? Yaurashi. Huh? What did I say? You, Bakugo? Oh, yeah, it's definitely Midoriya. Um, <laughs> but everybody else on the field is except for Yao Rashi, are second years. Um, so 1A and Yao Rashi are all in their first years. Um, so Midoriya is going to touch a, you know, the ball to one of these targets, and this guy is like pleading with him, and he's like, listen, you guys are first years. You need to give us a break because we need to get our licenses this year. And Midoriya just says, I do too, and goes about setting. And, he, and I like this moment because of the conversations that took place between Midori and All Might before this, like where All Might's very much like, hey, it's your turn. We need to get you ready. We need to do everything that we can. And so Midori is like, no, nah, man, I can't, I can't sit on the sidelines anymore. It's go time. Yeah, like he's totally ready to start this next portion of his life. Yeah. So the rest of this episode pretty much is us running around with Ida. So Ida is... He is the he is being the class reppingest class rep ever, and he's like running around trying to ensure that everyone from class one A passes because at this point nobody from UA has been taken out. Nobody's had all three of their targets hit. Right. Um, and before we get to Ida, I just I want to bring this up real quick. Uh, we get another quick flash of the announcer where he says like, okay, seventy nine people have passed, and he makes a mention that it's really weird that so far everybody in UA has passed and that no one's been knocked out because he's like, he's comparing it to all of the other years where they're normally knocked out within the first yeah. five minutes. So even he has made this realization that like, wow, UA is doing really well this year. And they are, I mean, they there's, I think at this point there's 18 spots left. Um, and I think, uh, so it's, it goes from 18 spots to 10 spots and there are still nine UA students on the field. Um, so it's getting clutch. And again, like Aizawa had pointed out, they don't know who has or hasn't passed and they got split up real early on. So Ida has been running around the, the battlefield trying to find class one, a students and do his best to ensure that they pass. And this is when he bumps into Aoyama. Yep. And we get another quick scene in between this, where we're back in the anteroom. All of the UA students that have already passed are meeting up. And there's a really funny scene where Jiro is talking to Bakugo. And she's like, you know, I was kind of surprised that Bakugo wasn't here already. But now I get it because you're with him. And she's yeah. talking to <laughs> Kaminari. Like, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, that and so great. they're all hanging out trying to, you know, figure out like, okay, well, what's going on with the rest of us? And Ida and Aoyama are trying to come up with some sort of plan. And it's really awesome. I actually gained a lot of respect for Aoyama in this episode because he keeps having these flashbacks and, and he's thinking about being a kid and just being different from everybody else. And, you know, he's looking up to Ida and, and trying to think like, you know, I, I want to set up my teammates for success. And he says something like, I want to be as good as everybody else is in, in 1A. And so he bends over backwards and shoots his belly button beam straight up into the air 
there to draw everyone left to him so Ida can try and hide around and tag a couple folks at the last second. And I don't know. I thought that was really cool of him to do that. You know, like he's trying to he's trying to bolster up his teammates. Yeah, and his language is of being equal. And the flashbacks were kind of weird because he's like asking his mom and dad why it is that what what is the phrasing that he he's why am I so different? Why am I different from everybody else? Yeah, which seems weird for him to say. Like, I mean, he's got a quirk just like everybody else, and his quirk's really not that different from a lot of folks. Yeah, and and the exposure that we've had of him in this show so far has been very much attention seeking. Like he doesn't want to blend in with the crowd. He wants to stand out. Um, but I think that he's talking here, I mean, about his effectiveness. You know, we've been giving him crap since the beginning of how in the world did this guy with the belly button laser, you know, how did he make it to this point? You know, how is he this good? And we have seen him use it effectively. He used it to rescue Tokoyami from Dobby, you know, at the end, um, of the, the last little, uh, moments at the summer camp and here I think he's still struggling with that with 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 what he can do and what his role is in all of this and there's this great scene in the manga where he actually cusses um not in English though he says it in French he says merde um m-e-r-d-e which is uh the it's it's shit in French um when they when they burst out of the like it's Ida and him and they they like come out into an opening and they're just immediately surrounded. And he, yeah. he just says, Oh man. Um, I didn't, I didn't pick up on that. That's awesome. It's in the manga. I don't think it's in the anime, uh, the anime at all. Okay. Um, but yeah, he's, he's struggling with what it is that he's going to do in this. Um, and he's even telling Ida like, dude, just, just run away or, you know, I'll, I'll I'm going to shoot this laser beam up into the air. And then while they're distracted, then you can run around and get your targets and move on. And, and yeah, basically just leave me behind. He's going to um, take the fall. Yeah, so he blasts into the air, but, and hey, mad, mad props to Aoyama. His quirk training has paid off because it's not just a one second beam. I mean, this thing is sustained. And not um, only is it sustained, but it's like five times bigger than it has been in the past. Like, it was yeah. a pretty significant belly button blast, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely the most, the most impressive laser. It was the most impressive belly button laser I've ever seen. Definitely, so, for sure. Um, so anyway, he's, he's going on about this, uh, this laser beam into the sky, and all of these uh, heroes start to zero in on his position, and then all of a sudden, a bunch of pigeons swarm into the area. And it's so cool, man. I mean, everybody from UA that's left over combines their powers and they kick ass. Like it's Koda summoning all these birds. And so the the sky turns dark and then Tokoyami summons dark shadow and he, he turns yes. into his like pro form, you know, where dark shadow is encompassing him. Uh, Meta, Manetta is running around throwing the sticky balls at everybody and trapping everyone. And as he's throwing them, Ojiro is coming in from behind and like tail whipping people into the sticky balls. Yeah, it's uh, great. And I've got a note here that just says the announcer says it best at the last minute. UA pulled together with some awesome combos because it's true. Like, I mean, I got to imagine watching this from the sidelines would just be super epic. Yeah, and let's not forget Hagakure. Hagakure oh, does that's this right. uh, refraction thing that. I don't understand it, but hey, it did something. It blinded a bunch of people. She yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have no idea how it works. Me either. Oh, and uh, uh, Ashido showed up there at the last second too, and she's using like acid wall to protect a bunch of people from the of uh, the target. Their targets getting hit. That was pretty yeah. cool. Very very cool. And it's it's everybody left in class one A is on the scene here against 
all of these other schools. Um, it was kind of like, is it, um, is it PUBG where like the, the playing area gets progressively smaller yeah, and it forces yeah, sure everybody is. to kind of meet up in the middle? Yep. I'm sure maybe there are others, but that's, I don't, I've never played any of these games. I think that's but, kind of like um, the, uh, the original though, because the battle Royale is like this new thing that every company is trying to come up with. But I want to say that that was the first one like that. Okay. Well, that's kind of this feeling that I got here that almost everybody left in the playing field is kind of seems centralized and class one, a is able to show out. Yeah. And, Everybody I mean, even, passes. Everybody. Even Ioyama passes. And even it's funny because he says something like, well, I guess I can keep twinkling anyways. And Ida goes, yep, you can keep twinkling, whatever that means. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's great. Yep. And then we get a uh, next up, we see, uh, you know, they do this stupid thing that I hate where they roll credits and then there's like five more minutes of the episode. Uh, so they roll credits and then we go into the ante room and we see the Saketsu High. Uh, they're talking to uh, the wind guy who I have forgotten his name again. Uh, but Yarashi. Yarashi, thank you. So they're talking to Yarashi, and uh, they're kind of getting on to the Saketsu High students. There's three of them there. Kami's one of them. The other one, I didn't catch his name, but he looked like uh, Cousin It from yes. Adam's family. Cousin It, yep. Yeah. I and don't so, think we got his name either. But they're kind of bashing Saketsu High. They're like, wow, we did not do very well at all. Yeah, so. they, they're kind of chastising, like, Cammy wandered off on her own, and uh, they were shocked that Shishikura failed, but he was by himself, too. I mean, the only one that that we know of that went off on their own and passed, well, I guess Cammy did, she's there, but Todoroki did. Um, everybody else was in a, a small group of some kind. Well, except for, uh, uh, you just told me his name. Yarashi. Yarashi, thank you. Yeah, Yarashi, I mean, he wins within the first five seconds. Like, yeah, right. Just win, wind-whipped everybody. Um, yeah, and I don't, I don't know. I, I was surprised to see that only, I think, three of their students passed. So that was kind of shocking. Uh, Miss Joke has one of her students pass. I think it was the, the guy that's basically Earthquake. Yeah, I th- I think Shishikura was the only one from that school that didn't pass. Maybe they didn't have like a f- huge class of people, but I thought that I thought he was the only one that didn't. Huh, maybe maybe, I, maybe, I'm maybe wrong. that was the case. Well, then we see uh, the entire stadium seems to collapse in on itself, and they are going to do some rescue missions for next episode. Yeah, hold on, though. It's not just that this thing just starts collapsing. They start blowing explosives up, and <laughs> at which point yeah. I was like, apparently they rigged the whole field with explosives ahead of time, and I just have in my notes, I said, that feels safe, you know, because they just had all these students running around, blasting off who knows what quirks. How did... What would they have done if they set off some of these explosions themselves, like well, during the first stage? I, I was like, that seems wildly, wildly, uh, like careless. I, I guess I didn't even think about it that way, but I just assumed that there was somebody with an explosion quirk that could do it remotely. You know what I mean? I don't know. I didn't see anybody run around doing anything like that. I That's think fair. that they like pressed a button and they were just like, what are the odds that somebody's quirk sets off these explosions? You know, ah, they'll be fine. You could argue <laughs> that if someone's quirk did set off an explosion and they weren't prepared for it, that they shouldn't be getting their uh, their license anyways. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I mean, ah. uh, I don't know. I'm right there with you, though. It did seem a little careless. Like, uh, I mean, can you imagine if uh, Todoroki had ended up just setting off a bunch of these bombs and totally devastating like a quarter of, of the... Uh, the stadium or even the earthquake guy, like he could have totally set off all those bombs at once. 
Yeah, yeah. They're they're innocently trying to get somebody's target, and instead of like tapping somebody's target with three plastic balls, they incinerate them. Because, <laughs> like, Todoroki is just like, uh, oops. You know, yeah, what, like what I, is he going to do? He doesn't know that they're there. So instead of just tagging the uh, the ninja guys, he just kills them all, explodes them all. Oh, man. Did you notice that whenever he uh, did the explosion near the ninja guys, they went flying and their costumes got totally wrecked and they were all in like their underwear? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I thought that was funny. But yeah, you're right. I mean, Todoroki could like use his firepower and then accidentally set off an explosion. And I imagine he would just be like, wow, I didn't realize I'd gotten that much more powerful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I was just like, man, who who made that call? Because That's it funny. seemed like a real poor one. Well, you know, Mira, uh, the announcer, was pretty tired whenever they started this, so maybe he was hoping everybody would die and he could just go take a nap. Yeah, that or they asked him to sign off on things and he just didn't catch that. Yeah, we're gonna put <laughs> the we're gonna put the explosions or the explosives in place ahead of time before the first test. Anyway, yeah, he, we find out that they're they're gonna um, they they're demolishing this cityscape um and the the second evolution of the exam and i think they even say it's going to be the last part um is rescuing civilians um from a disaster i guess yep that's what it looked like i wonder who the civilians are like do you think these are civilians that signed up for this or do you think it's random pro heroes that are going to be like investigating the kids or not investigating but like uh you know marking the kids as they do their rescue operations yeah, I mean, it It seems like pro heroes would be involved somewhere. I yeah. also wonder if, uh, are they, like, what is the grading system on this? Are they just going to say, okay, there's somebody stuck in this building, the first person back with them wins? Or is it a matter of, like, each one of you has one person to save the first one, the first 15 back wins? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's I, a lot of, lot of up in the air on how this is going to work. I don't think it'll be a race. I think that it'll, because there's more to, like if they're trying to simulate, which is what I think that they're trying to do here, is to simulate civilian rescue. Like you don't just run in and snatch people up and run back to a finish line. Like there are a lot of things you got to take in uh, into consideration when you're rescuing people from buildings that have collapsed and yeah, things that gotta, are currently on fire. So maybe there will be some, you know, some, well, how are they going to do this? And is it the best way? And... Uh, maybe they'll get graded that way somehow. I don't know. That makes sense. I hope that they're all carrying snacks because, you know, the most important thing is to fill their bellies. Fill their bellies. Yep, that's what was in all those pouches. Yep. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up for this week of Almighty Podcast. Believe so. That was uh, episodes 56 and 57. That was 55 and 56. 55 and 56. So then yep, we Next <laughs> week, we're hitting up 57 and 58. Yep. Sounds like a plan, man. Awesome. We'll see you next week, buddy. You guys have a good one, too. See you guys. The Almighty Podcast is a production of the Back Patio Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out our others at backpationetwork.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash backpationetwork. And feel free to hit us up on Twitter at at BackPatioNet or at AlmightyPod. We'd love the chance to talk with you.